0: Brother Pete Snow has literally been beating the bushes trying to help us find a piano player. He's, he's had two people on the hook, but they couldn't be landed. So let's continue to pray for that need. Turning Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 18. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12, or excuse me, 1 through 11. We're looking this morning at God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see and he went to see them and because he was of the same trade he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade and he reasoned in the synagogue every sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia Paul was occupied with word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus and when they opposed and reviled him And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Father, as we pray for your blessing upon your word We ask that you might guide us to clarity and understanding. We seek to know what is before us and understand how it might apply to our lives. May we walk with you this morning, Lord, through your word and its truth. We pray for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. When I was a child growing up, my mother had a, it wasn't her habit, it was her instruction. She would have me read the Bible out loud to her frequently, and sometimes she would even have me read books to her. And I remember reading, I don't remember the specific book, but I remember it was about the Puritans, the pilgrims, and I remember this word that I'd never seen before or never picked up on before I couldn't have been more than eight to ten years old and the word was providence and I asked my mother what providence was and mom was raised a Methodist a very faithful Methodist and at that time we were attending a church that was Grace Brethren and we soon became Reformed Baptists and I didn't become Presbyterian until I was fully grown so Christianity is a maturing kind of a thing. Can I get an amen? But I asked my mother, "What does providence mean?" And I remember she tried tried to struggle with the definition. Something to the effect that God plans everything; he knows how everything is going to happen in advance, and he ordains it to happen. And I was scratching in my head, what does ordain mean? It was a new concept for me, and I just I I don't remember the book it came from, and I don't remember what I was reading about. I just remember that word and that moment. It kind of blew my mind. Of course, we Presbyterians are real big on providence. Looking at Merriam Webster. It means divine guidance or care. Or God conceived as the power sustaining and guiding human destiny. That's Merriam-Webster's definition of providence. We look at our confessions and it says, what are the works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, preserving, Governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. God is in control. We could kind of set it down on that bedrock. God is in control. He knows what's going to happen. In fact, he orchestrates all of it to happen for his own glory. that's a big thing to understand because we see so many things in this world today and we wonder how could this glorify God don't have time to get into all of that right now I want to stick to our text God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel Whenever we talk about God's providence, we also need to remember that with that providence comes authority. He has the ability, he has the power, indeed he even has the right to do anything and everything he desires to do. Isaiah 55 is a call to repentance and also a warning. Let the wicked forsake my way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thought, that's a call to repentance. And it's universal to everyone. We might not understand God's providence. These next words remind us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It shall accomplish whatsoever I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I send it. In God's providential hand, we, like to th- we would like to, I would love to think that God's providence makes everything good happen. But in his providence and according to his word, he is also proclaiming judgment. For those who do not believe, he gives them over to the results and consequences of their own sin. Their own unrepentant shame. So when you see suffering in this world, it is a result of man's rebellion. And even that is a proclamation of God's truth. You shall reap what you sow. This morning, very quickly, if I can't, I don't think I'll be able to get all three of them, but we're going to try. God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel to orchestrate the influence of the enemy, to assign divine appointments, and to call to himself everyone he desires. Probably get two of these points. Try for three but if we don't get them all, we'll be back here next week. God's providence and authority to orchestrate and influence the enemy. We know that we, in our study of Acts, Paul had been in uh, in Athens and had been teaching and preaching at Mars Hill and in the Agora, in the city, and had had some success there, winning someone to Christ and planting a small church. And then he moves on to Corinth. After this, first 18, verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Corinth was a strategic place to start a church. Geographically, if you've ever studied ancient geography, Corinth was a port city on what is called the Isthmus. Say that five times real fast. The Isthmus, a little narrow way of land connecting two larger parts, southern Greece, and the Peloponnesian Island. To the south, there was the port on the Sardonic Gulf. To the north, there was the port side of the Corinthian Gulf. And both of those led out to the larger Mediterranean Sea. So this was a very busy port. This was a very busy city. This was a very modern city. This was a very wealthy city very influential however it was also a very immoral city it was known for that it was known throughout Greece and Rome oh 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 they live like a Corinthian when I was a youngster I remember a TV commercial. Some of you who are my age or close to my age might remember it. rice a the San Francisco treat. Back then, you talk about rice a you think of San Francisco. But now when you think of San Francisco, it's become the capital of the LGBTQ plus Organization as well as people defecating on the sidewalks. Oh, you live like a San Franciscan, could be said. And it's heartbreaking to think that. But people in Paul's day understood what kind of city Corinth was. It was wealthy, it was modern. It was immoral. What a great place to start a church. How does God introduce the gospel to such a city? He orchestrates the influence of the enemy. What do I mean by that? We've already seen how Luke mentions Claudius, the emperor of Rome. I want to set a little context. Most of you understand that Rome was the predominating empire during that time in the world history. Augustus was ruling Rome when Christ was born, and yet Paul in Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, Christ was born during the reign of Augustus. And Rome was no real beautiful place of perfect peace. Rome was quite compromised and idolatrous and immoral itself. Quite a, they conquered through violent aggression. After Augustus, Tiberius ruled. And then Caligula. I can't even describe what kind of ruler Caligula was. It would violate the principles of this pulpit. But Caligula made Jeffrey Epstein look like a Sunday school teacher. And Caligula, they say he was murdered. He was probably... you would probably say assassinated because the people on the senate who knew that the nation was losing control needed to put him away claudius claudius could offer some stability he had some physical limits but he was a brilliant administrator and he was a strong administrator He didn't put up with any nonsense. Our text in Acts 18 says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Why would Claudius do such a thing? Was he persecuting the Jews? I don't think it was so much persecution. The historian Suetonius wrote that Claudius expelled the Jews because of riots over, and I'm quoting, one certain Crestus. We all know that six to seven years before Claudius came to power, Pentecost in Jerusalem began the blessing of the Holy Spirit within the church. And people who had come from thousands of miles, even from Rome, were in Jerusalem and received the Holy Spirit and stayed there long enough to get some teaching about the Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Redeemer, the Savior, the King. And even they went back to Rome. Sharing the gospel. Paul wanted to go to Rome. We're going to see that in just a few chapters. He wanted to go to Rome because he knew believers were there. And we've already seen in Paul's accounts in our study of Acts that the traditional Jews who refused to believe in Jesus got angry and would start riots over those who would teach about Jesus. And these riots in Rome were the very thing so close to the capital, so close to the throne of the empire upset Claudius. What, you're disturbing the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. Get out of here. He sent them away. So that's how Aquila and Priscilla came to Corinth. The Lord has the power and authority to influence the enemy for the gospel. There were Christians in Rome. Aquila and Priscilla were two of them, a husband and wife. The Roman Empire was an idolatrous, immoral, and violent, and brutal political influence. And yet God, in his providence, was using this to send two believers down to help start a church in Corinth. You know what? We live in an idolatrous, immoral, and violent, and even a brutal time as well. The way it was then is not much different than what we are seeing today. We, we are comfortable, but our hearts break when we see what goes on around us. And I, our hearts are even frightened sometimes when we look at what our future might be. I remember when I was a teenager, about 12 or 13 years old, our pastor, our pastor told the congregation in a sermon that he had read where the Communist Party had plans to overthrow America without firing a shot. And he said what he read, the plan was in place to make it happen in 1976, the 200th, the bicentennial of the nation. And that frightened me. I knew what communism was. I knew what it was. It was not a good thing. And I didn't want to live under communism. The present insanity that we're seeing in politics now, the forces outside the church, often have a profound influence on the people within the church. So we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to be watching over the walls to give out a warning. God is not surprised. It is all within his plan. It's always been when the unbelieving world brings affliction upon the believers, the faithful people of God. He's not turned his back. He's not turned away. Do you remember Israel in the wilderness? Do you remember why they were in the wilderness? God led them to the borders of Canaan. And they were too afraid to believe and enter. So he left them wander for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8 said, he said, in the wilderness, he fed you manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. That time in the wilderness was to humble the people. To test them. To refine them. To strengthen and encourage them. To learn to trust their Lord. Do you remember the stories of Israel in the promised land? Joshua, a very exciting book in the Bible. Victory after victory after victory after victory. But then when Joshua died, we have the book of Judges, which is kind of embarrassing to read because it's failure after failure after failure. Judges 2.21, the Lord said, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them. Whether they will take care of To walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. Do you know why all of this is going on around us? Well, God's testing your faith. Each and every one of you, God is testing your faith. Do I believe what God is teaching me in Scripture? Or is this a greater reality around me? This confusion, this din, this noise. If you're a young person, you need to be measuring your faith, strengthening your faith, trusting him even now. Because what is out there has nothing for you eternally but condemnation and pain. The trials of this world are to test your faith. They're meant to test your faith. They're meant to refine your faith. They're meant to strengthen your faith. What shall your faith look like? What shall your faith look like even if you were a young Christian? To the church at Corinth, the Lord... Through Paul spoke saying if anyone builds on this foundation with gold and silver or precious stones, wood hay, straw each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it but it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is if anyone's work which is which he has built on endures, he shall receive a reward. The Apostle Paul is saying, you want to make earthly things your God, your idols, your primary source of peace in this world, it will one day be revealed by God's judgment. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, He will receive a reward. If your faith is in Christ, you shall be rewarded. This life is temporary. This life is not even a dot, a period in the book of an encyclopedia compared to eternity. You have so much more to gain than what you might miss in this world. God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel is meant to orchestrate the influence of the enemy. We've seen how he influenced the, the enemy to send help to Corinth to plant a church from Rome. Aquila and Priscilla were from Pontus which was on the north part was on the shore of the Black Sea, the north North, north, north part of Asia Minor. And they had moved to Rome, taking their business with them. And then were run out of Rome to Corinth, taking their business with them. So we see how God influenced the enemy He did so to assign divine appointments. Whenever we Christians talk about evangelism, we get excited about divine appointments as the time when the Lord leads us to someone who is ready to receive the gospel and get saved. We love those moments. They're always a joy to see and we rejoice over every single time. But don't overlook the divine appointments that are all around us. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, received, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded that the Jews leave Rome and, when, and he went to see them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for them. They were tent makers by trade. Aquila and Priscilla were mentioned, are mentioned several times by Paul in his letters in Scripture. They eventually follow Paul to Ephesus when he was done in Corinth. Aquila was a converted Jew. What we know of Priscilla is just a bit of speculation. She may not have been a Jewess, so this could have been a mixed marriage. Her name is not Hebrew. Is Greek. She may have been related to royalty because sometimes when Paul mentions her, he mentions these two, he puts her name first, which was a little unusual. But we see how God used this couple to help Paul start a church, and they became close friends, good friends, encouraging friends. God has the authority to assign divine appointments from Pontus to Rome to Corinth. God equips and prepares His church to bring people together. Our congregation is a result, our whole congregation is a result of divine appointments. You just think over the last few years, we've had people from Florida, Pennsylvania, Nebraska, Alabama, Tennessee. People from everywhere have come here and worshiped here and even joined with us. And they moved on and they've been faithful. Each and every one of you have been brought here as a divine appointment to worship that's a given that's why we are principally saved to bring praise to God to worship him together but also to serve we serve the lord faithfully so that others might may see your love for the lord and to encourage one another I get encouraged every time I see you Sunday morning. I say, praise the Lord, they came back. In 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul was teaching on the gifts within the body. And then he begins to describe how these are used and talking about human anatomy a little bit. Just as the body is one and has many members... And all members are of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many if the foot should say because i am not a hand i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body and if the ear should say because i am not an eye i do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye there would be the, where would be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell may i paraphrase this just a little bit starting back at verse 15 if the young teenager should say because I am not a grown up I do not belong to the body that would not make them any less a part of the body if the adult member should say because I am not an evangelist I do not belong to the body that would not make them any less part of the body If the whole body were evangelists, where would be the place of our worship? If the whole body were sheep, where would be the sense of shepherds? God has brought us here to serve him in our own capacity, in our own way. And I am encouraged every week Every month, I have been encouraged every year, countless of times, how you have been faithful to this church. And we should be able to let that kind of life sing. God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel It's clear to see how he orchestrates events around us, even political forces, even the enemy, in order that it might in some way help and benefit the church. Sometimes he will use influences of the enemy to drive people to a place of worship. Sometimes he will use the influence of the enemy to test the faith and strengthen the faith of those who worship. You and I. God's providence and authority in the presentation of the gospel also has the authority to assign divine appointments. Each and every one of us are here for a purpose, for a reason. Let's work together. Let's encourage one another. Let's serve one another. Let's serve our community. Let's work for our Lord. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? Edification. Teaching, encouragement, help, strengthening. That it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Each and every one of us have divine appointments every day of our lives. If God is provident in all that he does, then everywhere you go, everything you do is meant for his glory. You also, James 5, beginning of verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of our Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Do we believe he's coming soon? I do. My brethren, consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. James points back to the Old Testament prophets and even some of the prophets of the New Testament who were persecuted for the truth they preached and taught. We are called to live likewise, to trust him no matter what. God's providence and authority has the power to orchestrate and influence the enemy. God's providence and authority has the power to assign divine appointments. For today, I'm going to stop there. We'll revisit this text next week and look at some other things that are here. Shall we pray? Father, we ask this morning that you might open our hearts and our minds to understand you to see your will and your way for our lives. We look at the study we've seen in Acts and the people we meet there and the teaching we find there. Help us look closely enough where we might parallel the events of those days with the events around us even now so that we may be able to faithfully live for you. The events of Acts are not so very distant, Lord. We are seeing that. Make them real to us today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.